Good evening, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco, and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free, and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. Before we get started with tonight's episode, which is going to be wrapping up our 2014 NHL entry draft coverage, there is a bit of uh, housekeeping news for the Winnipeg Jets. They have actually signed another player, this one to the Manitoba Moose. This is 24-year-old forward Weston Michaud, who is, I believe, with the uh, University of North Dakota Fighting Sioux. Weston, from what I understand, was a tryout a couple of a uh, couple of months ago. I think maybe last year's camp or something, or the year before that. So maybe maybe a little more than a couple of months ago, but kind of get the idea. He's been around the system before, so I guess he would be some serviceable AHL depth. His uh, his college numbers don't really jump off the page, but when you take a chance on a guy like this, you're just looking for some forward depth in camp competition. We'll see what the guy can do. Hopefully he can uh, compete for a pro contract and try and earn his way onto the team, provide a little bit of scoring depth for your moose, and maybe uh, maybe he one day ends up on the NHL squad. Who knows? Probably not that likely, but you never know. Sometimes guys always defy the odds. That said, though, we're going to kind of move on to our 2014 NHL draft coverage. We started off with two picks from the first round, those players being Kyle Connor and Jack Roslovic. And speaking of Roslovic, you should follow him on Twitch. He is streaming J. Roslovic as well as his teammate Anthony Potato, a Potato 7. I believe that they're taking part in some kind of Fortnite charity stream, but you can catch him this coming weekend, I believe, and several times this week. I think Biddy wants to, to do some streaming throughout most of the, I don't know, next coming months, because there's not going to be a whole lot else to do, and I think Jack might be doing the same thing. So be sure to check out their Fortnite charity tournament. I think it's going to be involving a bunch of pro athletes across multiple sports, and hopefully the Winnipeg Jets uh, re- represent us pretty well. But the guy who was taken right after Roslovic is actually not playing Fortnite on Twitch actively, and his name is Janssen Harkins. Janssen is very good, in my opinion. I think that he has been a standout performer both at the AHL level and more recently with the Jets themselves. Janssen was um, something of a, a bit of a deeper pick. I think that he had a lot of potential, and some scouts really liked his game. He's very skilled, very smart, good positioning, uh, really well-rounded in a lot of respects. I think that he has natural offensive positioning. He's got a decent shot, um, pretty pretty good vision, actually, and I think that his passing and distribution both tend to stand out, especially against guys who have often played in in-depth roles, which is where Harkins kind of began his career. Jansen kind of fell off the radar a little bit for me, but this past year when he was with the Moose, he started to look a little more confident and a, a little bit more well-rounded, and the points totals jumped significantly between 2017 and 2019. I think, though, that this 2019-2020 season where he started with the Moose, he had 30 games and 31 points. And, of course, this is due a lot to the fact that he's just gotten increased ice time with the limited available forwards for the Moose, who are of top top six caliber. The Jets kind of plundered their uh, their reserves and a lot of their top young guys. But Harkins was also probably ready for a, a, a bigger challenge, to be honest. I think that Janssen, at 22 years of age, really needed to make the jump sooner rather than later because he was both too good for the AHL and maybe wasn't going to develop any further without getting some NHL ice time. So I'm glad that he got onto the uh, to the Jets, and very quickly he proved himself to be an indispensable middle six, potentially top six forward. 
he hasn't played much in the top six, but I think most folks will know that his work on the third line with guys like Jack Roslovic and Mason Appleton has become quite feared. Uh, Winnipeg ended up assembling one of the most dangerous third lines it's had in forever, with Harkins at the helm. Harkins, though, seems like he can actually play up the lineup, too. He's not a small guy, so he's a bit on the bigger side, but he's fast, he's got good hands, he's got, uh, you know, a number of different tool sets that he can use that puts him in a better position to score and set up his line mates. I think that these are all pivotal traits because, you know, in today's modern NHL, most top sixers need to be able to, to get a good deal of points, especially with the overall increase in league scoring. What's nice with Harkins is that he also has a good physical frame and build, which allows him to maintain strong control of the puck and really become something of a play driver. He was also very good, I think, defensively. I think his positioning in the D zone was great. He was a, a relentless forechecker. I think that he tracked back nicely and seemed to know where the play was at all times. He just seems like a consummate, good, all-around winger, and I think that that's something that the Jets don't have enough of, especially guys who can either be defensive specialists or two-way play drivers. Long-term, I don't know where he projects because I think Harkins is... Well, to be honest, I don't know that we know what his ceiling is 100%. I think that we at one point thought that he was probably a middle-six player and that's where he would top out, but Harkins is apparently more interesting than that and I'm kind of curious to know what happens with his career. He does have uh, a lot of traits and some early performance returns that maybe suggest he's more than what we thought he was. In 29 games this season, he racked up 7 points, but I think he was actually a bit unlucky. There were a number of opportunities that were either miraculously saved, or his linemates that he set up didn't end up finishing his chances and stuff that he created. I think that he's very skilled, and he seems to just find himself in the right spots. More often than not, if he keeps doing that, those point totals at the NHL level are only going to continue to climb. I'd be curious to know if he's ever played center. I don't know, I, you know, obviously I wouldn't recommend just changing his position on a whim and seeing what happens, but if he is good enough to play and become a driver, you know, on a flanking side, could he do something similar if he was playing down the middle? Center depth is something that the Jets, of course, really struggle with. Outside of David Gustafson, Winnipeg doesn't really have many C prospects of note. So if Harkins could convert at some point and maybe anchor a line with, say, Roslovic and Appleton as your third or even a consummate second line, I think that that is something very good that I'd be very happy with. You know, make the most of those guys by putting them in the best position to succeed, and I think that that's, for now, playing together. But, of course, I think, you know, down the road, Roslovic and, and Harkins will probably move up and down the lineup and I think that Harkins is going to do really well in whatever role that he's cast. I think he can be a shutdown fourth liner. I think that he can be a productive middle to top six forward. I think that he has a lot of the raw tools, as well as the experience that he's gained from playing with a moose, to be a regular contributor for this team. The next guy Winnipeg took in round three, number 78 overall, was Eric Foley, left wing, 22 years of age currently, and a former Providence Bruin prospect. Now, Providence College was a pretty good team when Foley was around, and he had around 35 points a season. His first year, he had 19, then he went to 34, and then 35 before closing out his collegiate career. Not too shabby overall. For a college winger, he was pretty productive, and it seemed like he had a pretty good work rate, pretty decent shot, nice skating, good offensive instincts, just a really well-rounded package. Foley then became part of the Paul Stastny trade when Winnipeg was really gunning for it. And so he got traded along with, a, I think, a first-round pick over to the Blues for Stastny. And, of course, that was a tough 
deal for a lot of us because a lot of us kind of liked Foley. We thought that he would be a good middle six winger. Unfortunately, Eric has had some really bad injury luck, and I just feel like all of that has conspired against him. I think that Foley has a, a pretty decent amount of potential, but it's just whether or not he can realize it without getting injured is going to be a bit of an uphill battle. It really sucks because he's basically missed about two seasons now. I really hope that whenever the NHL resumes and he gets healthy again, that hopefully he'll get some pro time. I think he's very good. I think he has a lot of talent. And it's really a shame that he got super unlucky over these past couple of seasons. I think he had some concussion issues too. So really hoping for the best of health to him. Hope he can be a difference maker. You know, hopefully not against the Jets or anything, but, you know, wherever he scores, I, I'm sure it'll be a great time, and, and hopefully he can finally make that breakthrough. I know that it's been a hard couple of years for him already. On a more curious note, we have Michael Spachek, who was drafted not too far after, and he was at number 108 overall in the fourth round. Now, Spachek, for me, is is a very curious player because he had really good numbers with the Red Deer Rebels, and then when he joined the Manitoba Moose around 2016 to 2018, he was very productive and playing a regular top six role. Spachek was somebody who, for a lot of us, felt could be a stealth bottom six center. He's got a good, you know, situational and spatial awareness. He's got a, a pretty good shot, nice passing, good vision, good stick handling and all of that. So there was a lot to like in this package. Over the past couple of seasons we saw his points total kind of hover around 40 or so, which is pretty decent. But this season, he maybe wasn't scoring at the same rate, and something seemed to happen. I don't really know what, but at, at some point, the Moose actually loaned him out to the Ontario Reign. That, to me, is kind of weird, because you wouldn't imagine a guy who is a, a regular contributor to the Moose's top six and middle six unit getting loaned out to a competing AHL outfit. So I don't know if he's on the outs or something, or if the team is just not happy, or maybe they needed to uh, loan him out because the rain were really short on bodies, and every now and then teams will agree to loan out their players who maybe aren't getting as much ice time. Not really sure, but you, you don't really see that with guys that teams are, are desperate to keep around. have to say it's a little puzzling, and I wonder if it means that maybe Spotcheck's time with the Jets is, is not as long as we had hoped. I don't know what's going to happen with him after this season. I think that this is going to kind of be a weird year now that the season's basically suspended until further notice. Maybe if he comes back in the fall or something, it'll be a little bit different. But I don't know. This situation's kind of weird and one of those things that leaves a lot of questions unanswered. One guy who does not appear to be on the outs anytime soon is right winger and also centerman Mason Appleton, who was drafted at number 168, sixth round. And Mason Appleton's kind of an interesting player. He spent a couple of seasons with uh, Michigan State, only two of them. And the second season, he was actually pretty productive. His first season was very good, too, especially as a freshman. Um, Appleton is, in a lot of ways, your quintessential quality fourth or third liner. He had very good numbers with the Manitoba Moose playing in a top six role. And then over the past couple of years, he's done enough to earn up a call up to the Winnipeg Jets. Now, this season, I think he was kind of being tossed all around the lineup. And he's, in some ways, an interesting player because I tend to think that the perception of him is maybe a little bit higher than what he really is, but what he does provide is still good value, which might sound a little confusing, but basically, I think some people rate him above Andrew Kopp. I don't really think Appleton is quite on the same level as Andrew. I think Andrew's a lot better at creating more offensive space and forechecking, 
But what Appleton also provides is defensive value. So while his offense may not be as stout, and I feel like his offensive zone IQ isn't quite as well-rounded as as Cops's, Mason is still very effective in the defensive zone, and he can use his, his pretty strong frame and physicality to maintain control of the puck, muscle guys off in the corners, win board battles, do all of the stuff that you'd want a guy of, of his player type. He's also pretty decent at transitioning the puck out of defense, so, you know, obviously there's a couple of different traits there. I think his, his ceiling is probably like a third liner. Some people, I think, see his speed and think that there's more to him than, you know, a middle six or a bottom six forward. I'm not 100% convinced that he's a top sixer at this point. I think that what he is is a very effective fourth liner in the right role. I think that he has a number of traits that could make him effective on the penalty kill. I think that he can be a great late game kind of player. I think that he is also offensively gifted in limited ice time. I think that he can do things that most fourth liners can't. He's not going to be somebody that crashes the net for a lot of goals like Brendan Lemieux did, but I think he's got a more well-rounded game. And I just think that he, in my opinion, is what I would label as the quintessential solid player. Somebody who you're not going to be, you know, giving a massive contract to for a bunch of years, but are the kind of players that go under the radar a lot because they provide significant value, but in ways that aren't immediately apparent. And Cop, I think, is the perfect example of this. A guy who day in and day out, you know, offers two-way stability, either defensively or in the offensive zone. He can play up and down your lineup. Appleton has some of those same traits, maybe not quite on the same level. I think Cop is kind of a monster. But, you know, Mason is very good in his own right. And while he does have a few moments where I feel like he maybe didn't quite take the right passing lane or didn't make a great decision, he's certainly not a bad player. I think compared to what the Jets have used on their third and fourth lines in previous seasons, Appleton is obviously a very decent player and a a huge upgrade for the bottom six. Considering that he was a sixth-round pick, you can start to see that Winnipeg is actually extracting more value out of these later rounds than their earlier drafts, and that's a major difference. A lot of these guys have had NHL time or NHL potential, and that's not something that we could say about some of their previous you know, picks as even high as high as second round picks that they've used in earlier drafts. Any player where you're actually going to get quality NHL ice time out of, especially after the second or third round, I think you have to see that as an unqualified win, especially if it's not really junk time, if there's if you're actually getting productive minutes out of those guys. And Appleton is somebody that really fits that qualification. We are rounding out the 2014 NHL entry draft with one of my players who's among my favorite prospects and one of the guys who uh, unfortunately kind of fell through the cracks and never really cracked Winnipeg's system. The first guy taken in the seventh round at 198th overall is Sami Niku. And I keep saying 2014 draft, but this is 2015. Apologies, quarantine may be making me forget what year it is, which is apparently a thing. Uh, Time is becoming an irrelevant concept. What is not irrelevant, though, is that Sami Niku was a very interesting 7th round pick. When he was taken, I think a lot of folks weren't really sure who he was, but those who were in the stats analysis community were fascinated by his offensive potential. Here was a guy who I believe was a teenager when he was playing in Liga, putting up really impressive primary scoring rates and shot totals for a dude who was playing in the men's Liga as basically a teenager. Niku presents, I guess, a prototypical modern-day defenseman where he's very fast in transition. He has amazing edge work, fantastic stick handling, 
great offensive instincts, a lethal shot, and when he finally made it to the Moose in 2017-18, he was phenomenal. I believe that season he won Defenseman of the Year for the AHL, just a really dominant player and one of the best rookies around. You don't often see guys cross the borders and come to North America from like Finland or one of the other Nordic or Scandinavian nations and immediately drop a 54-point season in the AHL as a defenseman. It's pretty exceptional and there aren't many guys who can do it, but Niku is one of them. Now, Niku's trajectory, and especially his recent NHL times, have been a little bit troubled. I, I constantly hear off and on that there is some dissent between him and the coaching staffs, which does in some capacity make sense. I think that Niku probably feels he wants a bigger challenge, and I feel like in some ways he's ready for it. I think that maybe Winnipeg probably you know, should have put him with someone like Dustin Bufflin when Buff was still playing, and kind of given him a sheltered role in a situation where Winnipeg's defense wasn't as thin as it is now. The biggest challenge for Niku is that his defensive awareness and board battles and stuff are all on the comparatively weak side, you know, when you look at some of his peers in other players like Nogier and and Morrissey. Even Pionk, I think, is a better defender, especially in his own end. So Niku kind of has a lot of work to do, but he also hasn't had a normal schedule where he's actually been allowed to really round out those aspects at the NHL level. I think it's easy to forget that he has a total of like 48 NHL games. When you look at where Pionk was just last season, he was arguably one of the worst defensemen in the NHL, and now he is a solid second or third pairing contributor for the Jets who can also score quite a few points, both at even strength and on the power play. Sure, there's definitely an argument about Pionk as maybe a bit of an empty calorie D, but you know, that aside, I think he's still been very decent, and I think that he does provide some value for, you know, what what we were expecting was going to be pretty marginal. Pionk is decent. Niku hopefully can do the same. I think that Niku is a very good skater. He has all of the attributes of a guy who could be a good top four defenseman. I just don't know if he's going to find it with the Jets. I feel like this may not be a system that suits him 100%, because Winnipeg likes to shelter and bunker a lot before trying to break out with a rapid transition. The rapid transition part, yes, the Jets can definitely use Niku here. Um, and I feel like even if they didn't do that, they could still use him because he's a very smooth skating guy who can transition the puck through all three zones. What I think he really does struggle with is if you don't have him paired with somebody who's like a defensive D, somebody who really specializes in good body positioning, winning board battles, making clean outlet passes, all of these kinds of things that would really help a puck-moving D like Niku, then I think Sami would really struggle, and I feel like we've seen a lot of that over the past couple of seasons. To me, he's kind of a wild card, but I really do hope that he sticks around and manages to crack this lineup more regularly, because Niku, aside from his free-flowing long hair, has a lot of potential as a really good D, and somebody who could put up a boatload of points, especially on this team if he were to make power play ice time. First, though, he's going to have to prove to Maurice that he's got more value than just his hair, and that could be a challenge because Paul is pretty strict to, as far as defensive awareness goes. Now, of course, many could contend that maybe Paul isn't quite on the same page as to what a lot of other folks are in regards to what defines a good you know, NHL defenseman, but you know, I, I think that there are some common things with Niku's game that really do need work, and I feel like Maurice is not necessarily wrong that Niku does need time. I just think that the approach needs to change and that Niku needs to be given the room to grow and not sit in the press box.
Rounding out our list of draft picks from 2015, not 2014, is 23-year-old Matteo Gennaro, a center who is 6'2 and around 190. Now, Gennaro was kind of interesting because he put up a lot of points with the Calgary Hitmen, but after he was drafted, Winnipeg never really signed him or anything. So Gennaro, I think, ended up hitting free agency and was last playing with Tucson and their system, including the Rapid City Rush. Gennaro is one of those guys who on the stats page looks really good, but from what I understand, I think Winnipeg's central issue with him was that the way that he was putting up points was not in what they might consider, you know, a quote, end quote, elegant way, something that they felt could translate realistically to the NHL level. Now, he has been fairly productive as a pro in extremely limited samples. Uh, you know, at the ECH level, he's on ECHL level, he's almost a point per game player, but at the AHL level, that's been a little more modest. Of course, he's only played a handful of games, but even still, this might be why Winnipeg was hesitant to try and bring him to their system. You know, in, in 65-odd games, he really hasn't lit the AHL up for Tucson, and that squad is not exactly bad, so maybe there was something to why they ended up not giving him a contract. Of course, he was always going to be a bit of a long shot, and he was a pretty deep 7th round pick as it is, so you can't really complain. I think on the whole, 2015 can be considered a massive success, Tons of great players, lots of NHL value, and lots of guys from the deeper rounds who either could have contributed if they hadn't had really bad injury luck or are active contributors right now, either with their AHL system or, you know, maybe contributing with the middle or bottom six for the Winnipeg Jets. All in all, really great draft. A lot of offensive upside. You have to like it. And I think that it says a lot about this kind of being one of the seasons where we saw their scouting priorities start to change. Up next, we're going to you know, continue our draft series and take a look at 2016, where we continue Winnipeg's trend of making smart tactical decisions in deeper rounds. I hope you folks enjoyed this episode. Before you log off for tonight, be sure to listen to our Locked On NHL National Podcast, hosted by the wonderful Sarah Avampato. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go!